From Arcadia, California, The Carter Report presents the living word around the world. We've been talking about the worth of a soul. We told you that a soul is worth more important, is more important than anything in the universe because a soul is made in the image of God. But let me talk now about the individual person and the nation or an institution or even our church organization. I want you to come over here to the words of our Lord. I'm glad you've joined us today. Come over here to John chapter 11. And this is a church that is based upon the word. That's why we've got our Bibles here today. That's why we turn to the text. That's why we don't just gaze at the screen and read the words off the screen. We get it out of the Bible. Come over here to John chapter 11, verse 45. The plot to kill Jesus, it's called. Therefore, many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the big, that's the big committee. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him, let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, the big man in the church, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He said this, you got to have the big picture. The church is more important than one person. He said, we've got a, a great, marvelous organization. We are the people of God. We're the people of Bible prophecy. We keep the commandments of God. We pay our tithe and we go along to our meeting place on the Sabbath. We're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. It's better that one person dies than that all of this to get messed up. I'm going to quote to you from a man who was the pastor of the Glendale City Church many years ago, Dr. Beats, listen, it was religious institutionalism that crucified Christ. It was religious institutionalism versus a personal Christ. It was in effect organizational religionism versus the gospel. It was religious heritage against God. The earthen vessel had become more the object of devotion than the treasure within the vessel. Here is the age-old tendency towards idolatry, for man is basically religious and wishes to make himself secure within religious institutions and therefore hides himself from the very presence of God. I'm hiding in the church. And it's better that one man die than I lose all this stuff. Dr. McKay is quoted by Dr. Beats. 
One of our serious troubles in the church today is that it has become legitimate to be institutional. The moment the church becomes completely programmed and depersonalized, it becomes a monument to God's memory and not an instrument of divine power. You see, when men build institutions that become their ultimate end instead of just the means to the end, that is an idolatry. Men build and build and they forget the purpose of the building. Institutions become more important than people. There are no shepherds in the institution any longer. Only people trying to prevent the ship from rocking. Then it is that truth suffers and good men are crucified. Then it is that the spirit departs. The glory has departed. Dr. Beats goes on, Caiaphas thought he must save the church. Therefore Christ must die, but Christ had come to save the church. Where would we have stood had we been there that day? He asks. The issue before Caiaphas is everlastingly present. We have to choose continually between tradition and scripture, between the institution and the individual between what is popular and accepted and what is true, there is no need to crucify Christ that the institution may be saved unless Christ lives, the institution is already dead. Now I want to say it to you folks here today, you better listen up and you better listen good because there's lots of us who are trusting in the church organization to get us home to glory. That is the sin of Caiaphas who put Christ on the cross. When the spirit of God departs, there's nothing there. What counts? One soul. You know the text. You don't need to turn to this one. Let you off for this text. John chapter 3, verse 16. Say it. For God so loved the world. Come on. That he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The, the reason Jesus came was not to build a building. Though we need to have buildings. The reason Jesus came was to save the world. Not talking about our cars or our things. Jesus was talking about a world of souls made in the image of God. So the world is of tremendous value. But I want you to come to another text now. This is pretty hard to believe, I, I know. I want you to come over here to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. This is almost too hard to believe. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, Christ died for me. When Christ died legally, I was in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. He loved the world, the Bible says. Another text says, he died for the church, but this text brings it in closer. The Bible says, Paul says, 
He died for me. You may find this incomprehensible. It may be a challenge too much for the human mind. But if you had been the one lost soul, there would have been a cross. Can you believe that? If I had been the one lost soul, there would have been a cross. And God on the cross. How much are you worth? Therefore we come again to the question, what is the worth of a soul? One person, one poor woman in Calcutta, one beggar in Johannesburg, one gang member in Los Angeles, one rebellious teenager, one old man in the retirement center. One person, how much? Worth more than the world. The value of a soul, think about this, when next you're tempted to put somebody down, or to tear them down, think of it. That person is worth so much. It can only be estimated by the price paid. The blood of Christ, the Son of God. If you want to know what a person is worth, go to the cross. Not buildings. I don't care about buildings. Therefore, if a soul is more valuable than all the gold in the world, all the diamonds and the precious stones, if a soul, a person is so valuable that God and Christ would redeem that soul with his blood. What is the most important thing I can do with my life? Shakespeare said, he is the rub. Are you ready for this? Can you bear this? I'm going to quote from one of the greatest people who ever lived. That was Paul, a Jewish scholar, a theologian, a preacher, a traveler, an evangelist. I want you to come over here to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 to 16. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 to 16 Listen to the words of the greatest scholar, apart from our Lord, in the history of the Christian church. He was not, I will say to my friends who are theologians, he was not an armchair theologian like you. He was out on the road. Is that uncomfortable? I hope so. Verse 14 and onwards. Do everything without complaining or argument or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, amen, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. The church is called uh, to shine like stars in the universe and to hold out the word of life to a dying world And if the church is only interested in meet, greet, and eat, 
It is our grand irrelevancy in the sight of God. Even though they sing hymns and say platitudes. One of my favorite characters is Bishop Fulton Sheen, a prince of the Roman Catholic Church. He's been dead for a number of years. He had a television program called Life is Worth Living. And obviously from my Protestant background, I did not agree with many of the things that he believed. But I did believe some things. And he believed that the only thing that was worth anything in the world was a human soul. That's what he taught. And on one occasion, the bishop went to a hospital where an atheist was dying of cancer. And he came in and he said, I've come, can I pray for you? He said, get out, priest. Get out, priest, I hate you. But Bishop Fulton Sheen came back back the next day and the next day. And each time he was told by the man, get out, I hate you, priest. And Bishop Fulton Sheen tells the story, or told the story, that he knelt down and he prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, if you can help me to save this lost soul, because he was, I will build a church, I think somewhere in Africa. He said, that will be my vow. (coughs) Help me. (coughs) He said, help me, help me to save this lost soul and I will dedicate a church to you. I will raise the money. And when this man was almost dead, he came in the last time and he said, I want to pray for your soul. The man said, get out, priest. He said to him, let me say this before I go. Just say these words, Jesus have mercy. He said, I'll never say it. He said, say, Jesus have mercy. And the archbishop came to the hospital the next day. He was met by a nurse and she said, Bishop, The old man with cancer finally died. But you will be interested in knowing he was saying some words. The bishop said, what was he saying? Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. The most important thing, my friend, in the mind of the bishop was the salvation of a soul. Would you come over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2 and verses 12 to 16. And who is a lost soul? Any person, my friend, outside the kingdom of God is a lost soul. The Bible teaches. We are saved only through Christ. 2 Corinthians 2. 14 and onwards, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? The most important thing is to save a soul. I want to say a few words to those who are watching the television program who believe that they're called to be ministers. Make sure that God has called you. 
In the days of John Wesley, he spoke about taking holy orders, and so we do today. He, of course, was a priest in the great Anglican church and raised up the Methodist church. And he said, if you take holy orders, make sure God has called you. Come with me fast to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 27 and onwards, in the light of what I've said, you can understand now this text. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles. That's a person who goes and preaches the gospel. Apostelos, one who is sent. Second prophets, that is a person who preaches the divine word. Third teachers, then workers of miracles. Also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others those with gifts of administration and those who speak in tongues, listen in the name of God. If you are planning to be a minister, some say my aim is to be an administrator and get behind a desk. Jesus was never behind a desk. Neither was the apostle Paul. The most important gift is to go into the world and save souls. Because one soul is worth more than a whole wide world. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. He said to his disciples. People don't understand that. The keys of the kingdom. You open the doors to paradise, I tell you. How are the doors open to paradise? Through the preaching of the gospel. I say to the young men and the young women in this church, why throw your lives away on that which is relatively unimportant? The most important work is to preach the gospel. Why have we gone to Russia and Africa and China and we're going back to India? Why do we do this? Because we will not play church. Because... We are driven on by the word of the Lord. Our faith is built upon scripture, not the institution. I'm going to read you something. You know it. I'm going to read it to you again. Twas battered and scarred, but like me. And the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time in the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. One of my big good people, he cried, who'll start the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two, two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars, once, three dollars, twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-haired, gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was soft and low, said, what now am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. One thousand... 1,000, do I hear two? 2,000, who'll make it three? 3,000 once, 3,000 twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered, 
Some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? The man replied, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and bruised with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once, he's going twice, he is going and almost gone. But the master comes. And the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. We're privileged to have with us today violinist, Jules Zell. She's going to come and play for us the great British hymn written by the great evangelist and preacher who led Wilberforce to Christ. The hymn is called Amazing Grace. Would you please come? Would you welcome her?
Hello, friend. I'm John Carter in Colombia. Behind me is the great city of Bogota, the capital of this amazing country. This city is a city of more than eight million souls. It's up more than 8,000 feet in the Andes. And we've come here today with one purpose in mind, to preach the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here because we have a commission from God. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the everlasting gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The people here need the gospel of Christ. And I'm asking you today, come with us, if not in body, but come with us in spirit. This has been a very, very dangerous city, a very dangerous part of the world. But we believe that we are safe when we are in the hands of God. Therefore, I'm beseeching you in the name of Christ and in the names of these eight million plus inhabitants in the city of Bogota to come and help us to preach the word of God. Please support the preaching of the word of God in Colombia. Please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at the address, Terrigal, New South Wales, Australia. Jesus said, work while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Please write to me today. Thank you and God bless you. Oh 